You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. Stokes Family Office Lanyap Podcast. This is Greg Stokes with my brother Doug. Today is July 7th, 2023, Friday. Some interesting news came out as it relates to the uh, monthly jobs report from June. This is from Ryan Dietrich. Some quick takeaways on today's jobs number. 209,000 versus 240,000. First miss after 14 consecutive months of beating economic expectations. $1.7 $1.7 million, $1.7 million jobs created in 2023 on the heels of a record $4.8 million last year. This doesn't look like a recession. 209,000 lowest job print in 30 months. The Fed wants to see this, but this is still a solid print. March and April, both 217,000 jobs created. You have to go back to 1986 the last time two months in a row saw the same number. Unemployment rate tick lower to 3.6% from 3.7%. A higher surge here is not the worry, not happening yet. Hourly earnings are up uh, four-tenths of a percent, likely cementing the Fed's hike uh, later this month. Prime age workers um, and so on are working at a high rate. Um, but basically, today's jobs report um, I found was pretty interesting. Um, it's like, like Dietrich just pointed out, it's the first time we've missed in a very long time but it's still solid. And that recession that we've been promised just has not, does not seem to want to come. So Doug, I want to get your thoughts yeah. on that. Um, and all, all, and the, uh, else. Yeah. all the 2022 uh, imminent recession, people are now kicking their forecasts out to 2024. Everyone uh, that I've read that was a, you know, pound the table recession person from last year is, is basically saying, yeah, this is exactly how it should be playing out. That, um, you know, the 2024, you know, 24 months after the inverted yield curve, um, recession is, is still in play and not just in play, but high probability. Uh, and every time economic data has come out this year, that sort of, uh, that recession call has been pushed back, uh, just a few months. Of course, uh, they may be right and they're going to be right at some point, but, um, I think the, the recession calls are, at least for the near term, um, pretty much uh, yeah, a dead. Uh, this is, I, th- I think, the big concern there is what the what the Federal Reserve does. Of course, I think if you raise interest rates to a point where um, you can't afford to borrow anymore, whether it's for a house or for a business, then that's going to cause an issue. But it hasn't yet, and uh, and so we'll see to the point where the Federal Reserve uh, raises rates. And we've always said, and I think this is the uh, sort of the the rule of thumb that the Fed raises rates until things break. We thought they might have been broken in March of this year when they raised rates uh, in the midst of bank failures. That seems to have been concentrated just a few different areas. And so, you know, what's that next thing to break? It doesn't look like it's anything anytime soon. Uh, I've quoted Mark Zandi a lot on this podcast, who's the chief economist for Moody's. He had a comment from this morning on the on the June jobs report. He said that the June employment report was close to perfect, not too hot, not too cold. Abstracting from the monthly vagaries of the data, monthly job growth is just over 200,000, about the same as labor force growth. Thus, unemployment has been unchanged in the mid-threes for more than a year. Wage growth is a little stronger than expected, but the bottom line is he's, he expects the Federal Reserve to raise rates again 
this month, but thinks it's a, a mistake. And he's been calling the past couple rate hikes a mistake. There, one of these is going to be a mistake um, where they go too far uh, and uh, and causes a recession. And I think um, that hasn't happened yet. I, I probably would have said, you know, a couple hikes ago, we were in trouble. And I, I think I was in that camp in March of this year. But, um, you know, the, the economy is resilient. And I think uh, everyone, for the most part, is being proven wrong this year. Yeah. Um, so by the market's measure, there's like a 95% chance that the, the Fed raises rates in July. So it's, it's basically going to happen according to what the market sees. The, it's, they're looking at inflationary numbers on a year-over-year basis per their um, calculus. And according to the most recent inflation numbers, where the, the uh, CPI, uh, consumer price inflation, is going up about 4% year-over-year. But that takes into account a lot of factors like we talked about that are um, somewhat stale, especially as it relates to housing. Um, Trueflation, which we've referenced quite a bit, which is more of a real-time inflationary measure, is saying inflation is about 2.2%. So the Fed is being pretty aggressive into a um, situation that the that another entity in trueflation is saying that inflation is basically where it should be, um, but the Fed's still being sort of um, uh, restrictive in, in, in terms of raising rates. In, in, one in thing, one of, thing about trueflation is that they had inflation at 6.28% at the beginning of this year, and it's been basically steady down since then. Uh, it looks like it's been it's stabilized in the last month. Uh, June 15th, it was at 2.41%. Uh, the the uh, 7-7-2023 uh, inflation uh, calculation is 2.44%. So we may be stabilizing here in this in sort of the mid twos number. Right. And so hopefully that data matriculates down to what the Fed's looking at in a more of a um, more of a dated fashion. On a rent on the rent r- rents are a big part of the inflationary numbers and and rents are falling or static in a lot of places, especially places that were really hot in the post pandemic era. Um, year over year in uh, rent inflation is down like six percent in Austin, Vegas and Phoenix suburbs. Rents are also down in Charlotte, DFW area, uh, Riverside, San Bernardino, Ontario. So, so things are looking pretty good from a um, from the standpoint of um, inflationary numbers coming down in a, in a, in a more um, up to date fashion than what the Fed is saying. So hopefully they don't they don't go. Hopefully they, they start to see that in their dated their data um, before uh, before something breaks. Um, but that the market there's the Fed is basically saying that the the likelihood of n- no recession is just as as, uh, as high as uh, a mild recession. So we'll have to see how that all plays out. But as it relates to to what's actually happening and happening in the markets, it's crazy to me that you can get a one year T bill, one year Treasury at five point five percent, which is the highest rate in over twenty years. So it's that if you do, I'm looking at this this uh, graph that discipline funds. Uh, posted, and essentially for our entire careers, Doug, um, starting in the you know decade decade plus um, time frame, the the uh, t- six month T bill year yields were like essentially nothing. Um, they got up to in the two that early two thousands, they were like around where they are today. But it's crazy to me that they've increased so dramatically, and that's provided us a, a sort of like a 
a great uh, free lunch, so to speak. And there's a lot of implications as it relates to where treasuries are, and that has that is there's an interplay between that and uh, markets because if you can earn 5.5% risk-free from the government, there's therein lies that security, other security prices should be um, uh, priced at a lower basis. Um, so there's a lot of implications associated with, associated with that, but it's truly amazing how things have changed on the on the fixed income side of the equation, especially on the short end. You know what the funny thing about that is earlier this year, um, and I was I was in the same boat. It's like, why would you own risky stocks, so to speak, that traded at twenty times price to earnings ratio, which translates to like a five percent earnings yield? So just the reverse of twenty times price to earnings is five percent, one over twenty. Uh, when you can just get five percent by owning a T bill, and I think that that was sort of the sentiment at the time at the beginning of the year, translates to the if we would have just gone forward with that sort of methodology and said, look, we're going to sit out the market for a while and just clip coupons at 5% and it's a free lunch in this environment with no uh, real risk. Uh, markets are up, what, north of 15% year to date. So it's funny how the market has that ability to just ca- catch you flat-footed by saying, you know, take the easy way out, take your 5% and then whipsaw you for a quick 15% return in six months. Right. And, um, and over that six month time frame, you get half of a, of a 5% yield on your um, T-bill. So you're, you're sitting at a two and a half percent net gain versus in a T and T-bills versus, you know, what the market's been able to provide. Yeah. So I think that, that I, I agree with the uh, uh, discipline funds that it's, it's very tempting to pass up a five and a half percent, T bill and I and I strongly encourage investors to have that as a portion of the portfolio. But to be all in or all out one, uh, you know, one area of the market leaves you exposed to uh, missing upside in other areas of the market. And I think that's been a great lesson this year. That even though what appears to be a free lunch is also, is is costing money uh, by shifting from stocks to bonds and giving up a large return in exchange for you know, half of 5%. Right. So the, the, uh, implications on the, on the, um, as it relates to, to interest rates are, are trickling down through the economy. And a lot of people have seen this in housing where mortgages now are like 7%, which is crazy to me. Um, but also as it relates to automobiles, according to CNBC, it's the least of avo- least affordable time to buy a car ever. Um, so I find that's find that to be uh, that's that's going to start to impact people's um, spending. I'm sure. Um, also, in, as it relates to cars, the, some interesting data came out this week. Uh, Tesla deliveries hit a new record in the second quarter, and we're up 83% year over year. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal that said that or that provided data that that um, the United States. Of all, all automobiles, about seven percent of them are electric right now, um, and that's that number is increasing year over year. But it's that the uh, the the pace at which those increases are happening is slowing just because of the relative quantity of uh, electric cars. So a lot of interesting things going on as it relates to the affordability of automobiles, the shift from gasoline to electric, um, as it relates to housing itself. Wait, let's is, let's stick on cars for example. Uh, uh, 
I've been I've been noticing this a lot. I don't know if you have, but I've been seeing a lot of Rivians on the road uh, lately. They're also I mean they're they're a badass looking car, and they've got um, a sort of a great competitor to Tesla. Um, stock price of Rivian over the last uh, month is up fifty uh, percent. Um, this may be, this may be sort of a confirmation bias for me and I don't own the stock and I don't, I don't think, uh, to any material amount, any of our clients do, but, um, but as a, as this shift from, I'm a, I'm a gasoline type person and I don't, I don't see myself shifting to electric vehicles anytime soon, but, uh, I do, I do seem to notice anecdotally a lot of these cars that are on the road now and they're they're pretty attractive looking i I wonder how competitive they'll be to tesla on a go forward basis right well tesla right now is is by far the leader in electric cars and the data supports that like the model y is there is the number one electric car that's out uh, today and we and ty can pull the, the graphic that shows the breakdown of all the the number of automobiles that are on the road today that are electric but the, but what's happening in your in terms of what you observe that you're a, a gasoline uh, in, uh, internal combustion um, type of guy um, the uh, the the stocks and it's the same article that that will also provide in the um, as it relates to electric cars that the Wall Street Journal did said that the uh, inventories of electric cars are growing rapidly on uh, car lots it's something like uh, car companies have 90 days of uh, electric car inventory versus the average for combustion combustion engines is like 50 days. So there may I wonder if there's if they're capturing a lot of the market share of people that want those types of automobiles, and that's the reason why the pace is slowing um, as it relates to the growth of electric automobiles, and also people that were the electric automobile fanatics or ones early adopters. They've already captured that big portion of the market share. Yeah, I mean, I'm I, the way that at least the technology is now. I'm not a buyer simply because I don't want to be on a road trip and worry about my battery going out and having to spend whatever, however long it takes to recharge uh, to do it. So I would, I would say that there is probably a subset of the market that is just not can't be convinced at this point, and then, um, and then a, a large portion that have already got their tesla or whatever and and don't need a new car and then there's i don't know how big the the people that can be convinced are at least at this point are right exactly so i i i could see myself uh driving an electric car but i have the same concerns that you have like we talked about like that it takes 30 minutes or whatever to charge those things up a lot of times the reported mileage on them is um way less than what you get in actuality especially if you're driving uphill with your kids in the car and the cold and everything the mileage you get is way less than um, what you'd be what their what the estimates are. So there's a lot of uh, downsides to it, but there are a lot of. I mean, it's a, the Teslas themselves have awesome technology, and they're relatively inexpensive. Um, so there's some positives associated with it, um, but it, I think it's going to be a little bit longer of a uh, time frame until um, they, they get full capture of the market. But in, in that same article, with the the uh, regulations that the, the EPA is pushing. Something like two thirds of every car, cars that are sold in the mid 2030s, are going to need to be fully electric in order to satisfy the the uh, governmental regulations. So it's coming, um, but again, they've got to be a lot of. There's a lot of changes that have to to take place for me as a uh, consumer to to take the full leap. Although it is pretty, they're pretty cool. They're fast. 
it's like driving like a golf cart essentially. So there's immediate pickup. You don't have to wait for the car to a combustion engine to fire um, before you get a response. So there's the videos of like Teslas that are beating Lamborghinis and um, in uh, drag races and stuff like that because they have that that um, innate ability as a, as it relates to like a electric car and the response responsiveness. Um, but anyway, I want to shift gears, Doug. We've talked about this at length as well, too. Um, so we talked about the housing piece that right now the mortgages are at 7%. And Michael Antoli posted on Twitter that he thinks that the sub 3% mortgage is um, the sort of the best gift to the American consumer that may exist in our lifetimes. And I wanted to get your feedback on that. And also, do you, if you think, and and there's a there's a series of discussions as relates to that, the comments on that particular tweet as relates to, do you think we're ever going to see that that again? Um, but before, without further ado, I want to get your opinion on that. Uh, yeah, I think at least um, you know for the foreseeable future and maybe for the next decade or so, that's that's probably the case. That if you have a sub three percent fixed rate mortgage, that um, the amount of wealth creation that that affords, uh, in terms of you know not not paying that down and keeping that debt and utilizing that excess cash through increased wage growth or um, increased earnings on cash, increased earnings on T bills, uh, can be saved into other vehicles. I think that that's going to provide a ballast for those people that have low rate, you know, sub three percent, thirty year fixed mortgages. Um, I do, I do think we'll see near that again. I don't know if we'll get in the twos, but I think that um, just the amount of leverage that's in the economy right now is, uh, it's without any sort of like catastrophic event, it's going to have to get back to low interest rates just to um, for the economy to be able to service uh, the level of debt that we have. Low interest rates are sort of a priority there. Um, so I think we'll get there at some point, whether it's through recession or through um, just like a slog in, in growth. I think the most interesting uh, byproduct of sub 3% or 3% mortgages is just how it's had an impact on the housing environment to date. Ben Carlson wrote an article over the weekend uh, related to this and just talks about how uh, the housing market hasn't really crashed in uh, with the same expectation that you would have if rates more than doubled over a 12 and 24 month period from sub 3% to greater than 7%. We're only seeing modest contraction in, in home prices. And the result of that is really, uh, or conclusion there is that uh, in 2019, uh, this is active sales, uh, if, you know, active listings of U.S. homes. 2019, it peaked at two point, north of 2.2 million homes for sale. We're now uh, about 1.37 million, so about a 40% drop in home listings. And I think the direct result there is that people have locked in low rates and can afford to really ride out uh, a storm in housing. And I think that this or can't, is just... Contr- can't afford to, to do anything different. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, that's, uh, I don't think that that was con- really has been considered up until within the last several months mm-hmm. that, um, you know, maybe how instead of a housing crash, we just have anemic growth or no growth, but just no supply over the next several years as a result of this. Right. 
Yeah, so I, I think that's a, that's a reasonable conclusion. Uh, there's still a shortage of housing in the country as well, too, and obviously nobody's selling their houses now. So, um, and and uh, housing prices are actually have shown that, that there's they've shown some positive momentum recently, surprisingly so, enough, ex- uh, with the exception of New Orleans, of course. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. but um, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so um, in in this we're in line of keeping we're in the summertime and want to respect. Uh, our, our time and everybody's time so everybody can, you know, enjoy their, their, uh, their summer. But we, I wanted to point this out that, 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 uh, in true summertime fashion, we have a blockbuster movie coming out. Um, and it's in mission, mission impossible is coming out next week. It's got great reviews. Um, I, I was actually not that big of a fan of the, the early mission impossibles, but, uh, I really liked top gun, the most recent one. And it has the same sort of, uh, obviously the same actor and same really positive reception amongst um, the critics. It's got 98% so far on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, I don't, a, think, I've uh, seen a, I don't think I've seen a mission impossible since I was a kid. Maybe like yeah, the first I don't think or I second. Have one. Yeah. Um, but I do, I want to get back to the point where America, the sort of the American hero, you know, beating the communist, either Russians or, or Chinese, in a movie, in a blockbuster movie, is is sort of a an annual tradition. So in, in the Rocky or Rambo day and age, so I'm happy to see or Maverick. I'm happy to see these movies come back. Right, but in in Maverick, he was they were fighting some unnamed nation. Um, they didn't want <laughs> yeah, to have. Was that was that movie uh, like it was a Seth Rogen movie or something like that from like ten years ago that they assassinated the North Korean leader. And then Sony got hacked or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So they're trying. I don't know if they're going to go. They're going to uh, directly choose like uh, any of our our uh, adversaries uh, to, yeah. to avoid. And you can infer. Of- you can infer that it's you know yeah it's this these people because of you know where sort of where they are in the world. But it, I forgot about that with Maverick that that it, they didn't actually say it was the Chinese, but it like it all all indications were that it was a uh, it was a. a Chinese uh, adversary. It's funny. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, listen, I uh, uh, appreciate everyone's time this week. I hope you had a great fourth. Um, and we'll be back next week. And this is Lanyette Podcast with Doug and Greg Stokes. Give us a five star review and leave us a comment. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.